0: Uh, the Bible reading is from Acts chapter 25, verse 23, through to the end of chapter 26, and it's on page 961 of the Pew Bibles. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore I have brought him before all of you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me so then king agrippa i was not disobedient to the vision from heaven first to those in damascus then to those in jerusalem and in all judea and then to the gentiles i preached that they should repent and turn to god and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds that is why some jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me but god has helped me to this very day So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. "'You are out of your mind, Paul,' he shouted. "'Your great learning is driving you insane.' I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Benice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Rob, for reading that long passage. Um, good evening, my name is Paul. I have met you. It's lovely to see you. Uh, we are spending a few weeks in January looking at uh, people of courageous faith. So. That's our, our theme for the whole year, the year of courageous faith, and our, our desire, our hope is that your trust in Jesus would be so strong, that it would overflow, that you would just naturally talk about Jesus in every opportunity you get. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, Abraham, and then last week, Rahab. Uh, next week, Ed's preaching on Stephen, and this week, I get to, talk, to speak on the Apostle Paul. Uh, Before I uh, preach, I want you to think in your own mind of two or three people uh, that you know and you love who don't yet know Jesus. So who would they be? Two or three people in your life you know and you love who don't yet know Jesus. I want you to think about those people as I preach this sermon tonight and think, how would Paul talk to them? What would the Apostle Paul do with these people who I love and I know? So let me pray for us, oh, Heavenly Father. You are all loving, kind, compassionate, and gracious. And Father, we lift up to you now those people that we know and love, and we ask Lord that you would open their eyes. And we ask, Lord, that you might use us in all our frailty and all our weakness uh, to tell them the good news of Jesus. And, Father, as we come to your word now, I pray that, uh, as your word says, it would not return to you empty. So, Spirit of God, would you take my words and empower my words? Uh, Would you speak to each of our hearts that we would know and love Jesus more and be more courageous in our faith? We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to begin tonight by sharing the stories of three courageous people. The first is a man called Musab Hassan Youssef. He wrote a book called Son of Hamas because that's who he is. Uh, He is one of the sons of the Hamas terrorist organisation. So he grew up in a strict Muslim home. In his own words, he was trained from the age of five to kill. He said this, In the mosques, Hamas taught us that without shedding innocent blood for the sake of the ideology, we would not be able to build an Islamic state. They were preparing us from the age as young as five years old to kill innocent people. He became a Christian because a British missionary handing him a Bible one day. And he smuggled the Bible into his house, he began to read the Bible, and he met Jesus. And there's a phrase that Jesus used that really spoke to him, it was the words when Jesus says, love your enemies. Because he'd been taught to hate his enemies. And he found in Jesus somebody who preached a gospel of forgiveness and a gospel of peace, and a gospel of hope, and a gospel of resurrection. For many, many, many years, Musab was a secret Christian. He was fearful of telling other people about his faith. And one day he went public. And because of that, he was forced to leave his family, and forced to leave Palestine for fear of his life. And even today, he has a death sentence over his head. But he's a courageous man. He says this, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. What can they do to me? Are they going to kill me? If they want to kill me, let them kill me. If they kill me, that's going to be my freedom because my soul is going to be free of this body and I get to see my saviour. And Mishab now spent his whole life travelling around the world sharing the story about Jesus with no fear just his deep, deep faith. The man in the middle is probably better known to you. His name is Andrew Chan. He's the man who was executed for drug smuggling as part of the Bali Nine. He met Jesus in jail, and his life was so radically transformed. I listened to his conversion story in his own words. I found myself in here, in prison. At first I thought it was no big deal, I'll get out of this, I thought. It wasn't until I ended up in solitary confinement I realised I wasn't going to get out of this. In fact, I figured they were going to kill me. I'd never felt so hopeless and alone. I decided if they were going to kill me, I might as well kill myself. So I took my T-shirt off and I made a noose. And then I remembered the heaven and hell stuff. I decided that if I was going to kill myself, I should make sure I ended up in heaven, not in hell. I wasn't sure how to do that, so I figured I should pray. But I wasn't sure how to pray either. So I just looked up and said, God, if you are real. And for the first time in my life, I began to cry and ended ended up on my knees. I cried and cried and said, God, if you are real, send someone who cares about me. At 6.30am the next morning, a guard woke me up and said, get up, you've got a visitor. I said, I can't have a visitor, no one knows I'm here. And then I saw my brother. He said, Andrew, no matter what happens or however long it takes, I'm going to be here with you. And so I asked my brother to bring me a Bible and I started to read in Genesis and thought, oh, these are nice stories. But I got nothing out of it. Someone else came to visit me who was a Christian. He told me to read the New Testament. I didn't know what that was and told him I didn't have a New Testament. And he explained to me the New Testament was part of the Bible. And so I I, I started to read the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Just before my court date, I remember reading Mark 11, where it says, if you have enough faith, you can say to this mountain, be removed and God will do it. And so I said, God, if you are real and if this is true, I want you to set me free. And if you set me free, I will serve you every day for the rest of my life. So I went to my court hearing, and they convicted me and gave me the death penalty. I got back to my cell, I said, God, I ask you to set me free, not to kill me. But God spoke to me and said, Andrew, I have set you free. I have set you free, I've set you free from the inside out. I've given you forgiveness in my son, Jesus Christ. I've given you new life and eternal life. And the lights went on. I understood I was free. I might be here in this prison, but in my heart I was free. I'd found forgiveness and new life and salvation through Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Saviour. And so here I am in this prison, contained by these walls, but every day I get to talk about my saviour and share my faith. And he's the man who went to his death singing Amazing Grace. If you know his story, he became the pastor of the prison. Every day was a new day where he got to talk about Jesus. The third man is a man called Paul. He's the man who said the famous words in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The, the striking words are it, because because Paul had every opportunity to be ashamed. As he preached Christ, he was imprisoned. As he preached Christ, he was persecuted. As he preached the gospel, he was tortured. He was hated. He had death threats. And just so you understand, Paul was not an impressive man. He was an inarticulate, small, balding, geeky guy. Yet time and time and time again, Paul walked into cities full of intelligent, educated, successful people and he just courageously preached Christ. So let me ask you, right up front, why do you lack courage in talking to other people about Jesus? What, what stops you? Maybe deep down you think the gospel is a bit too simple. You know, one man Jesus Christ claims to be the Son of God and is born and lives and dies and rises again, and just believe, just trust, and you'll be forgiven. Or maybe you think the gospel is a bit too offensive. You know, Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm the only way to, to the Father. Or maybe like me, maybe my, like me, you are a people pleaser. And deep down, you want to be liked above everything else. And as long as we want to be liked more than anything else, as long as we crave that popular opinion and don't want to offend people, then yeah, we'll lack courage. I remember being in the Kiribati deli down the road a few years ago and Joanna, the uh, the lady at the till, uh, said to me, oh, you're that pastor of the church. I I love that church. It's full of nice people doing nice things. I was thinking, is that what you think of church? We're nice people doing nice things. And that was the moment. Would I be courageous? And my, my palms were sweaty and my heart was pounding. I thought, I've got to talk about Jesus. And I said, yeah, we are nice people doing nice things because we love Jesus. And Jesus is the reason for everything. So tonight we're going to look, about, look at Paul and his courageous faith. Towards the end of his life, he faced three different trials recorded in Acts 24, 25 and 26. And the accusations are flying around. He's threatened with death, but he's so courageous. He stands before Felix and he defends himself. He stands before Festus, he defends himself. And here he is in chapter 25 and 26 with a new leader called King Agrippa. And just so you understand who King Agrippa is, his full name is Herod Agrippa. So his great-grandfather was the Herod who ordered all the, the babies to be massacred in Jesus' day. His grandfather is the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. And his wife, Benice, who we meet in verse 23, it is his wife, but she's also his sister. So he's in this incestuous marriage relationship. And so you've got the... Apostle Paul before a violent, harsh, morally corrupt man. You've got a prisoner before the king. We're going to learn three things about Paul, three things about his faith, that I think will transform the way that you talk about Jesus. Here's the first one. He sees himself as a miracle of God's grace. Paul sees himself as a miracle of God's grace. is how he describes himself in 1 Timothy? He says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Here's a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I love that. That's how Paul sees himself. He says, I am the worst of sinners, but the grace, the undeserved kindness, the undeserved forgiveness of our Lord was poured out on me in abundance. And What Paul is saying there is that if God can save me, he can save anybody. If God can save me, a wretched, persecutor, and a murderer, then nobody is beyond forgiveness. See, Paul might have been the most successful church planter in history. Paul might have written the most letters in the Bible, but he still saw himself as a miracle of God's grace. Is that how you see yourself? Do you wake up each day and just go... I'm just a wretched sinner saved by an amazing God. Do you sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. See, so that's, that's, that's who we are, isn't it? We're just sinners saved by a great Savior. You've got your testimony. I've got my story. My story is 29 years ago, I was an arrogant, proud, intellectual academic Thought I was a somebody, and God brought me to my knees and thought, No, you're not a somebody, you're a nobody, but you're loved by God. And I love the fact when Paul is before this king, what he chooses to do was just to share his story. He tells his testimony, his life before Jesus, when he met Jesus, and what Jesus did for him. He starts in verse 4 and says, This was my life before Jesus. The Jewish people will all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. He says, ask people. I studied the scriptures, I loved the law, I kept the law. I was so sure I was right with God because I was a good law keeper. And verse 9, I, I too was convinced I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. See, Paul hated Jesus, and Paul hated Christians. Paul was the man who made it his mission in life to destroy the church. He was determined to wipe out every Christian. He said in verse 11, I was so obsessed with persecuting the Christians, I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Now, he's the kind of man who is so anti God, anti Christian, anti Jesus. But God grabbed hold of Paul and God opened Paul's eyes and God saved him. One day, verse 12, he was going to Damascus, going down to kill Christians. About noon, verse 13. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard to kick against the goads. Do you understand that phrase? It says God has been prodding him. A goad is a stick you prod an ox with. He's saying, God has been prodding me. So God was prodding Paul as he persecuted the Christians. God was prodding Paul as he watched Stephen die. God was prodding Paul with all his religious stuff. And so Paul says in verse 15, Who are you, Lord? This is it. This is the moment his eyes are opened. I am Jesus. I'm not dead, says Jesus. I'm alive. I'm speaking to you. I'm the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And what God does to Paul is that he opens his blind eyes, he grabs hold of him, he forgives his sins, and he turns the murderer into the minister. He turns a persecutor into a pastor. But the important thing here is, is Paul would say to me tonight, he was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Paul. Paul was not out looking for a saviour but the saviour found him and the saviour stopped him and the saviour blinded him and the saviour grabbed hold of him and revealed his grace to him. So I want to ask you, what is your story? What is your testimony? Could you sit down with somebody and say, this is my life before Jesus. This is when I met Jesus and this is how Jesus changed my life. Because I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that the, the best story is your story. Not somebody else's story, but your personal testimony. There is power in a personal testimony. And those people that you thought about, have they heard your story? Have you ever sat down with them and said, this was me before Jesus. This is when I met Jesus. This is how Jesus changed me. I remember as a new Christian 29 years ago. Remember those days when you're so enthusiastic about your faith and I was there handing out Bibles and handing out tracts and inviting people to church. I just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. In a way, it kind of saddens me that that fervour, that vigour has kind of evaporated a bit. And Maybe you need to relive your personal testimony or maybe you're here tonight and you need to understand that That you've just been saved by grace. That you're a miracle of God's grace. Remember the story of the church on a Sunday morning and kneeling at the communion rail is a high court judge and a criminal, a convicted criminal. And they're at the communion rail and they're taking communion together. They're kneeling together. At the door of the church, the the pastor says to the judge, did you see who was kneeling, kneeling next to you this morning? And the judge says, oh yes, what a miracle of God's grace. And the, the pastor said, yeah he, is, yeah, he is a miracle of God's grace, isn't he? And the judge said, who are you talking about? Oh, the criminal, of course. I'm not talking about the criminal, I'm talking about me. I, I'm the miracle of God's grace. I mean, he, you know, he, he knows he's a sinner, but I was brought up in a nice middle class home. I went to Oxford. I was well educated. I'm the miracle of God's grace, that God should choose me and open my eyes. Is that how you see yourself? You're a miracle of God's grace? Because when you do, you just think, okay, I'm just a, a nobody chosen by God and I get to share my story. Number two, Paul marveled at God's resurrection. Paul marveled at God's resurrection. See, time and time and time again, Paul talks about not the cross, But the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's let's just read a few verses. 24, verse 14. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law, and it's written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. There will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. There'll be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. On that last day, according to the scriptures, all will rise. Both the righteous and the wicked, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting condemnation. 24, verse 21, is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. 25, verse 19, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religions and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Uh, 26 verse 8, uh, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And 26 verse 23, the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, the first of many, he'd bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. See, Paul is obsessed He's obsessed with Jesus and he's obsessed with the resurrection of Jesus. As Paul preaches, as Paul teaches, he can't stop talking about this man who has defeated death because the tomb was empty. And of course he talks about forgiveness and of course he talks about the cross. But more than anything else, he says, there's going to be a day called Judgment Day where everybody will rise and we'll all stand before our maker. But one man, Jesus Christ, has defeated death. One man, Jesus Christ, has come back from the dead and because of that, we have hope and because of that, we have joy and because of that, we have new bodies and because of that, we have eternal life. And I just wonder whether we've we've lost that focus on the resurrection because it is the connection point, isn't it? You are going to die, I'm going to die, everyone you love is going to die and so this resurrection hope is the best news in the world. When was the last time that you sat down with somebody and explained that that death is not your enemy? When was the last time you said, I don't fear death because Jesus is alive? Uh, See, when you live with that that backdrop of the resurrection, uh, you view people differently. You think, you need to hear about this because one day you'll stand before your maker. The third reason is that Paul made the most of every opportunity. I love how Paul sees everybody as loved by God and that God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It doesn't matter whether he's standing before a king or a pauper. He just talks about Jesus. So here he is before King Agrippa. What does he say? Verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replies, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, that is, forgiven, a new creation, born again, except for these chains. See what Paul is saying is that his Heart, his longing is for everybody he meets to have what he has. You know when Paul walks into a new city, he just persuades, he reasons, he talks about Jesus. Because he sees everyone through this lens of that they're made in the image of God. They're created by God. They need to know God. They need to love God. Is that the way that you see Your calendar, is that the way that you see your life? Now as you walk into the shops tomorrow, do you you see people as needing to hear about Jesus? As you walk into work, do you say, okay, here's a chance to talk about Jesus? See, maybe like me, you sort of compartmentalize, okay, I need to talk to that person about Jesus, rather than say, every opportunity, I get to talk about Jesus. Now some people might think you're mad Festus thought that Paul was mad, didn't he? You're out of your mind, Paul, he says. Your your great learning is driving you mad. That's what my friends accused me of back in 1990. Paul, you've gone mad. You joined a sect. You joined a cult. You're crazy. See, not everyone will like what we say. But if we boldly and respectfully talk about Jesus. uh, I found that People are often more willing to listen than I am to talk. Remember the the story of the three people travelling on that plane from Sydney to London? There's three people in a line, there's two businessmen in the window seat and the middle seat, and a, a girl with very low intellectual ability in the aisle seat. And the girl's a Christian. After a couple of hours she turns to the man in the middle seat and says, do you brush your teeth? He said, yeah, I brush my teeth. And she says, oh, well, that's good, otherwise your teeth would rot. And he said, do you, do you smoke? And he said, no, I don't smoke. He said, oh, that's good, otherwise your lungs would rot. And then she says, do you love Jesus? And he said, yeah, I do love Jesus. He said, oh, well, that's good, otherwise you would rot in hell. And then the girl says to the businessman in the middle seat, "Uh, could you ask the man next to you whether he brushes his teeth? Could you ask the man next to you whether he smokes? And this Christian businessman who's sitting in the middle seat says he is so ashamed and so embarrassed by this little girl who has a very courageous faith. The girl next to him wants to know whether you love Jesus, he says. And the man in the window, he said, oh, see, I don't love Jesus, but I'm intrigued by Jesus. So could you tell me who he is? And then they spend the rest of the plane journey talking about Jesus. And I, I share that story because we're often put to shame by people who they have never been to a university or to a Bible college. They're not the world's best evangelists. But have such a heart for Jesus, whoever they are, Whoever comes across their path, they just courageously talk about their faith. So, all I'm here tonight is to say when you know who you are, you're a miracle of grace. When you know where you're heading because of the resurrection, you do make the most of every opportunity. So, those two or three friends that you thought about at the beginning, do they know that you're a miracle of grace? Do they know about the resurrection? When was the last time you made the most of that opportunity? We pray. Father, we thank you that you saved a wretch like the Apostle Paul. And we thank you that you saved a wretch like me. And for those who are here tonight who are believers, thank you that you saved a wretch like us. Father, we are miracles of your grace. Father, help us to live in light of that every day, to know our story, to know the power of your resurrection and to make the most of every opportunity. We ask that for Jesus' sake.